and it's a unique picture. You don't look like the person next to you. I don't look like you. You don't look like me, and that's okay. That's actually the beauty of it all, that we all bear the image of God in a unique and different way. And when we interact with the world, we're showing them, we're showing them or it a picture of what God looks like. Do you understand the power that you have? You have the power to show the world, wherever you are, this little space that you inhabit, you have the power to show that space a picture of what God looks like. But then it gets even more significant as we follow the narrative. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. I'm Jesse. Uh, my, my name is Jesse. I serve as the community and discipleship pastor with Anthem. Um, those are some rough moments, man. I, uh, that moment in sixth grade, I still remember vividly. Um, hopping out of a classroom all over and stares at you is not fun, but it does not compare to thinking that your one and only crush is actually asking you, I'm so sorry, Celeste. That's so rough. <laughs> well, anyways, um, can I show you guys a video? This is a little bit different, um, but can I show you guys a video of something that, this is my daughter. I'm just gonna show this to you. <laughs> you little stinker. Dad, Dad. Madeline Grace. <laughs> you want to Yeah, you feel powerful. <laughs> Dad, you want to Okay, wait, you're spreading the cushions. Madeline. Okay, well, what's done is done. Yeah, this is terrifying. No, no, no. At least spray the grass. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is my little girl, Madeline. She's, uh, she's like, what, 16 months old, um, which I was never going to be the parent who said months, but it does matter in development and all that stuff. And yeah, anyways. This is a, my, my wife sent me this video while I was sitting down. I'd actually just been, uh, was just, just after this, I was asked about speaking today. And um, so this was on my mind. But uh, so my wife sends me this video. I guess the story behind this is my wife had um, been filling up this like play activity center that we have, which you fill up with water. It's got a bunch of stuff she can play with, all of that. And so my wife had taken the hose. She had locked it into the on position and, and left it in the activity center so it would fill up. She turns her back, turns back around, and now our daughter, for the first time ever, is holding a hose in her hand and experiencing power she's never, ever, ever come in contact with, right? And as she's, as she's sitting there, she's just sort of figuring stuff out, but like, whoa, this is so cool, right? You see it in her. But when I was watching the video, maybe you felt this too. There's these moments where she's sort of like 
turns towards my wife and you almost feel it viscerally yourself of like, oh my goodness, is this chaotic little child who has no idea how much power she has in her hands going to now turn it towards you? And if she sprayed you, she wouldn't even comprehend what happened, right? She has no idea how much power she has in her hands. And if you think about it, like with a hose, there's a lot of stuff you can do, right? You can water the grass, which she pointed to, but did not water. Um, you, can, you can leave that thing on in our living room and cause thousands of dollars in damage. You can drink from it, or you can spray yourself in the face. Like there's all sorts of stuff you can do with a hose. And here she is with so much power in her hands and she doesn't even know it. And as I would watch that, and then I was thinking about, well, what would I talk about to a bunch of students who were starting, uh, starting their, their year? It, it, it was sort of a question in my own head. Do you understand how much power you have in your hands today? Do you understand how much power that you have in your hands today? And here's what I mean. And now I understand that some of you maybe aren't students, you're not starting a year, maybe you've already been going on for a while. I get that, but I'm going to speak primarily to students, but this is applicable to anyone here in this room. But some of you are about to start or are continuing your higher education, or maybe you're starting or continuing undergrad. What for? What for? Some of you are about to be, if you're not already in, obscene amounts of debt. <laughs> what for? Why? What for? Some of you are about to spend, if you're not already doing it, you're going to be spending literally your entire day studying. And then tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to study. And then the next day, study. And the next day, study. And that's going to be your life for a while, what for? What for? And maybe your answer to this is, well, I've wanted to do what I'm doing, get into this program since I was like sixth grade. Maybe some of you might honestly answer and say, well, honestly, like I'm in this field and heading this direction because the money that I might make someday is going to give me the life that I want. I think most of you in this room might answer to this question, I want to help people. Some of you might say, I just love the intellectual challenge. Some of you might say, well, it's, you know, my family, my culture sort of pushes me in the direction of this field, and so that's why I'm here. Some of you might say, I had no idea what I was going to do, so I just chose this, and here I am. Some of you might say, well, someone helped me, did something for me when I was a kid, and I wanted to do something in a similar field, or maybe no one did anything, and I wanted to be, I want to be the person I needed someone to be for me. Whatever your reason is, like, you have a reason you have an answer, most likely, to the question, what am I doing this for? What for? But what I want to talk to you about today is I think that there is an answer to this question. What am I doing this for? There is an answer to this question that I think begins to hit at some of the deepest parts of our life, some of the deepest longings that we didn't even know we came in here with. And so I'm going to give you the answer. It might not click. You might think, okay, that's, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's okay. We're going to talk about it for the rest of the time, but I'm going to give you the answer to what am I doing this for? And this answer, again, I think is one of, it hits at the deepest longings of our life. So what am I doing this for? Here's your answer. To build the kingdom of God. To build the kingdom of God. Now, listen, I know some of you were like, okay, I'm ready for this. And you hear that, and you're like, what? Yeah, okay, like, I, it sounds really religious, right? It sounds like, yeah, I know, I got to put God first. This should all be about God, like, everything... And I get that. And, and, and one of the things that's funny about this is many of us feel like 
I got to make, make what I'm doing about God somehow. But, but we struggle with, like, how does it actually line up? How does that line up with my day-to-day life? And here's what I want to talk about. Here's why I want to talk about this today, because it, it's, it's not just the pious religious answer that you ought to give. I'm telling you this from personal experience, from seeing other people who live with the same mentality, from, from looking through scripture and saying, this is the narrative that's just present throughout the story of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And so the answer to that question, what am I doing this for? To build the kingdom of God. And let's talk about it. Let's start at the beginning. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two. If you start there, if you're familiar with scripture, you know this is where God creates. And when we're in this space, we, we see God creates all of these things. He rests on the seventh day. You might know the story, right? But, but the basic idea is we see God take the chaotic world, this, like, this, this thing that's, that's formless and void, and he forms it and shapes it and molds it into something that is useful and meaningful and beautiful for the living creatures that will then inhabit it. That's us and all the animals and the birds and everything else that we have there. So God shapes it and molds it, but there's something else we get from those first two chapters. And it's this, that God, wild thought here, created it. And so he, he knows it intimately. Like from, from the atoms, I guess quarks are smaller than atoms. I don't even know. Some of you all physics are. Anyways, from the smallest little bits of this universe all the way up to, if you were to go outside and look up at the sky and you could see points of light that we would say, oh, those look like stars. It's beautiful. Some of those are galaxies full of billions of stars. And my point in bringing this up is that God knows it intimately from the smallest all the way up to the massive forces that we don't even understand, that science is still struggling to understand. God knows it intimately, but not just that, he knows you intimately. And he knows the insanely, insanely complex and yet beautifully cohesive ways that you and I work. But not just how I work as an individual, but how we work socially and societally how we work as a global people. He gets it intimately. This is a God who is not just created and stepped away, the deist God of like philosophy. No, this is a God who created, knows it intimately, and has been present throughout the whole thing. And we look at this God, not only has he created it and all that, but he has still been involved in it. He is still ruling in it. And we look at him and we recognize this God of Genesis 1 and 2, he is king. You just, you can't argue with that. He is king. Not only has he created, but he's also continued to rule. And we get this idea that he has created this kingdom. And if you were to look at all the earthly kingdoms that we have, have had since, which are usually horribly bad versions of the, of the original kingdom that God had laid out, we see that a kingdom has some specific characteristics. A kingdom has a king, shocking, I know, has a king or a queen, it has a land, a space that that king rules over. It has people in the land that are part of that kingdom. And then it has what we might term laws, but, but it not so much like criminal or, or, or civil laws, but like social norms, cultural ideas of what it means. Like if you were to say the British empire, right? The British kingdom, well, what does it mean to be British? And of course, there's lots of discussion about that, but what does it mean? There's certain cultural elements, certain shared experiences, certain ideas of what it looks like to be British. That's what this kingdom is. But then last, a kingdom also has a reason for existence. Usually a kingdom starts because everybody in that space needs safety or somebody was like, I want to unite all these tribes. But over time, you would see the idea of a kingdom being it's for the safety and the prosperity and the thriving of all the people in it. Sadly, we see that that sort of gets shifted and 
warped into a space where a lot of people who have power, wealth, status, they're the ones that benefit the most. But ideally, a kingdom is built or exists so that people can thrive and experience prosperity and safety within that space. And if we were to look at God's kingdom, we see all of these elements, but in their ideal state, we see this, this, this idea, again, shocking, God is king. But by saying that, that can sound just, it can sound so bland. It can sound just like, yeah, okay, I get that. But think about this. Like if God is king, he dictates what is good and what is not good, but not arbitrarily. If he made this world into, and knows it intimately, like we've talked about, well, then he knows what will go well and what will not go well. And that's what he seems to be laying out for Adam and Eve. So God is king, but then God has this space that he rules over. We might say the universe, but let's just shrink it down for today to the earth. The people in the earth, us, he rules over. Well, what's the, what's the law? What's the idea behind what it looks like to live in this kingdom? And as we look throughout all of scripture, we see it's this deeply formed it's not, it's not the shallow, like I love ice cream sort of thing. It's this deeply formed idea called love that governs all of what this is. To live in the kingdom of God is to be subject to this idea called love and to live in it. And then last, we see, well, what's the purpose of it? And we see God in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter two, the very beginning, he's created all of this. He said, it's all good. And then he looks at him, he's like, that's very good. And then he gets to the seventh day. And what does he do? He steps back and rests and enjoys his own creation and seems to be calling us into this perpetual Sabbath, this idea of resting and enjoying what God has made for us. But not just rest, but also this idea of meaningful work. God says to Adam, I'm going to put you in this garden where that you will tend and keep. So, so not only are we like, okay, cool, we get to be at the beach all day. It's not that. It's also that you will find, you will find fulfillment from working in this space from tending it, from making it look beautiful, from making it useful. So that's the idea that we get of this kingdom of God that's laid out in Genesis 1 and 2. But go, if we go back to my daughter and this, this power that she had in her hand, she didn't even fully understand. I wonder if you understand the power that you have in your hands as someone that's been created by God. Check this out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This is what's sort of amazing, not even sort of, this is incredibly amazing, that you are made in the Imago Dei. That's Latin for the image of God. You are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And there's lots of ideas of what that means, but I'm just gonna give you one that's pretty compelling to me. That when you, when you interact with this world, whether it's another human being, whether it's the animal's nature, whatever it is, when you interact with this world, wherever you are, you are showing that world a picture of what God looks like. And it's a unique picture. You don't look like the person next to you. I don't look like you. You don't look like me. And that's okay. That's actually the beauty of it all, that we all bear the image of God in a unique and different way. And when we interact with the world, we're showing, them, we're showing them or it a picture of what God looks like. Do you understand the power that you have? You have the power to show the world, wherever you are, this little space that you inhabit, you have the power to show that space a picture of what God looks like. But then it gets even more significant as we follow the narrative. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. 
It starts off with God saying, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you think of this imagery, God puts Adam in a garden. He says, I want this garden to spread over the whole earth. It's the Garden of Eden was not the whole earth. It was the specific spot on the earth. It seems to be that God wants that to extend and fill the earth. But then get this too. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then what does it say? It says, and have dominion, or, and subdue it, and have dominion. If we were to boil those two, two words down to a basic idea, God is saying, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and I want you to rule over it. And if you're hearing that word, it might be pretty unattractive because a lot of us have seen dominion and subjugation. That does not generally mean good things. And if you go back in history, you don't even have to go back far in history to see how bad it can be. But go back to this idea of rule. Maybe you're more like type A and you're like control and order. That sounds amazing. But this idea of rule, it basically means this. It means to exercise authority and power. Authority being like, you are the one who has the right to make decisions here. And second, power, meaning you have the ability to do something about it. If you have the authority but no power, well, it doesn't mean a lot. Okay, cool, you made a decision. Nobody, has to, nobody follows it. Or if you have the power but no authority, it means, well, I'm going to go do this, but you weren't the right person to make the decision there. What's powerful about this idea is that first, God made you in his image and then says, I want you to rule over the earth in my stead. I made you in my image, and I want you to rule over the earth as if it was me ruling over it. Which is an incredibly powerful idea. And, and when we talk about this, that can look so many different ways, right? That starts to get pretty scary when we say rule over the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. But let's just talk about what this can look like. My wife and I, we rule we exercise power and authority over our daughter. That sounds a little bit scary, doesn't it? But think about this for a second. If we use our power and our authority to decide, well, I want to take care of my daughter. I want to set boundaries and rules for her so that when she is learning and growing, she has a safe space in which to do so. I want to take care of her. I want to feed her. I want to teach her. And this is an amazing part about being a parent. Part of our power and our authority that we use is to exercise that in a way that teaches her to exercise her own power and her own authority so she can grow up and be her own person. If I use my power and authority like that, that, that sounds like it ought to, right? Take marriage, for example. My wife and I co-rule over our marriage. These are words we'd probably never use, just to be clear. But conceptually, we co-rule over our marriage. I exercise power and authority, my wife does too, over our marriage. And it can look a couple of different ways. If I use my authority, my decision-making power, which I have in my marriage, to be like, I don't really care about what my wife is saying right now. And then I use the power that I have to totally dismiss what she's saying. Over time, what does that build? What does that create? What sort of atmosphere does that foster in our marriage? And where does that leave our marriage long-term? If I use my authority and my power to listen, to learn how to listen, and then actively do it, that begins to shape and mold the atmosphere of our marriage. But we're not just doing it in one individual space. It's all over all sorts of different spaces in our marriage. But we exercise power, and there's a rule. And, and the reason that, we talk, that I'm talking about this today is so that you recognize you are not a passive person in this world. 
You are ruling whether you know it or not. But what does that look like? And here's the powerful thing about what God has laid out in Genesis 1 and 2. It's that you are made in his image to rule over the earth as if he was the one there. Of course, you're not God. You can't do everything he, he, he does. But the idea is that he would rule over your little corner of the earth as if he was there. And the power and authority that we see, that we are to exercise is even more powerful when you check out this God that gave us this power and authority over the earth. Because what we see over the long course of scripture is a God who is continually self-sacrificial, kind, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And then in Jesus, we see him come to earth in a way that is just right in front of our faces for us to understand. And then get this, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, that Jesus did not chase, I'm paraphrasing a bit, did not chase being like God. Instead, he emptied himself. He is God but he's not chasing the status, the power, any of that. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and giving his life. Like this is the kind of power and authority that Jesus exercised. Here's what I think is is powerful about this is that Jesus is not not throwing it all away. He even says, I could call 10,000 angels to deliver me from this cross. He could do it but he does not, which means that he is still a God who could exercise power and authority in ways that we would would struggle to comprehend. But instead of doing that, he comes and shows compassion to those who are ostracized. He comes and serves those who are in desperate, desperate straits. Like this is the God that we're talking about. And if this is the image of God, if I am the image of God and I am called to rule, what should that look like? So instead of being someone who is dominating and subjugating, I'm called to be a servant king. To use my power and my authority in ways that are serving as opposed to dominating. That's the power. Let's just back up for a second. God made you in his image and then looks at you and says, hey, listen, I am entrusting a little bit of this world to you. This kingdom, that is my kingdom, I'm giving away to you. Do you want, you're starting to understand the power that you have in your hands. Today, this is not something that you will have some, this is today. Your little corner of the earth is being ruled by you one way or the other, and God has given you that. And what's even more incredible is it gets even more significant as you follow the narrative, because what we find out as we go on is that not only is all of this true, but you also being a image-bearing ruler, have agency. You get to choose. Here's what I mean by this. We see in Genesis chapter two that God lays out something for Adam. He says, listen, anything in this garden that I have entrusted to you is for you. But there's this tree that you're not supposed to eat of. That's the only thing. Just don't eat of it. And what that represents is you can always, you always have the agency to decide whether you will live in my kingdom and build it or decide to build your own. You will always have that decision in front of you. 
And so he lays out that decision. But then what's even beautiful about this is some of us have this struggle where we feel like if I give over my life to God, it's just gonna feel like I have to do all this stuff that's not interesting and not fun and a ton of saps my time and my energy. And I don't wanna do it. Here's what's amazing about this. God shows us that even if we decide, hey, listen, I wanna be part of building the kingdom of God, that there is agency and choice in that. God says, hey, here's this garden. You're just here to care for it, tend it, be fruitful, multiply all of that. And then what's amazing is God brings the animals to Adam. This is the God who created everything, okay? Let's just be clear about that. He created everything. And he brings the animals to Adam and says, I've given you this space to rule over this land and these animals. I want you to name them. He gives Adam agency in what the kingdom looks like. This doesn't mean I'm just gonna do whatever I want, but it means within the context of who God is, how he's created this world, the love that governs it all, you have choice. You decide what your little part of this world looks like. Some of us have been walking through life as a follower of Jesus, just trying to figure out, okay, like what's the plan, God? (laughs) What's next? And you sit there, you pray and you pray and you pray. You feel like you don't ever get an answer, right? Or maybe you get an answer for one thing, but then you just feel like, I don't know what's next. Which way do I go? I got seven different options. Which one do I choose? And sometimes I wonder if God is not telling you what to do primarily because he didn't build you for that. Sometimes God absolutely steps in and says, this is the way. But very rarely, even in scripture, he built you to be an image-bearing ruler who has agency. And so maybe the thing that he's calling you into, yes, submit it to God in prayer. This is not, I want to do whatever I want. But still, in prayer and submission, pick a, pick a path. Start walking. If he redirects you, he redirects you. And I tell this to you because some of us have been struggling. We're just like, where is God in my decision-making? And I'm just telling you, what if he's just like, yo, you can make the decision. It's okay. I'm not trying to micromanage your life. I didn't come to Adam and be like, well, this animal is this, this animal is this, this is how you take care of them. He said, here, this is for you to decide. You are an image bearer who is supposed to be a ruler and the God of the universe has given you agency in it. Do you understand the power that you have in your hands today? One of the things that I think is so funny about my little daughter is that she has a lot more power than she'll ever know. And go look at that video, but it's not just that. She has the power to absolutely terrify my wife and I. One time she got on a a little seat next to me. I'm sitting on the ground um, and I think I was watching something or I don't remember, but she gets up on the seat next to me and it's a little rocker chair and she's like bouncing back and forth. She's figured this out for the first time. So happy. She grabs her blanket. She wants to grab a blanket that's down on the ground. So she's leaning over. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure she's safe. She gets the blanket, pulls it up, drops it off. And I kid you not, the next second, she's on her way down, head first, off the thing. I catch her by the leg. This child has so much power that she doesn't understand. You have so much power in your hands. You don't understand not just the power to scare God <laughs> and to make his heart hurt, but, but the power to 
build something wonderful in this world. He has given you all of that. And here's what I find beautiful about this. Is, well, actually, let me say this first. Here's what some of us will struggle with here. Some of us will struggle with this idea that you are an empowered, image-bearing ruler because you have learned throughout your entire Christian life that you are a broken sinner who needs a savior. And I have something to tell you, you're both. They're not one, and one or the other. They are both in the same. But see, many of us grew up learning, I'm a broken sinner who needs a savior. That's all you ever learned about Christianity. And so what you learned was this terribly depressing version of, oh my gosh, have I sinned? Oh, Jesus, I need you. There is absolutely a real brokenness in us, an intense brokenness. Evil is, exists in this world and exists in you and me. We have to acknowledge that. But you also have to acknowledge what you were made to be. And you also have to acknowledge that the God that you serve came and died and he rose again and he invited you to be part of this. He said, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And then he didn't give a bunch of instructions past that. He said, here is what it looks like to build the kingdom now. Go for it. And the rest of us are like, can we ask a couple of clarifying questions about what's supposed? No, because he made us to be image-bearing rulers who have agency to decide what that looks like. We've used it poorly. We have hurt people. We have damaged, we have damaged so much in this, but yet God persists. You are an image-bearing ruler with agency. Remember I said at the beginning that this idea of build the kingdom really hits at some of the deep longings of our life. I would say this. One of the deepest longings we have in this life is to do something meaningful, do something that matters. Some of us would say, I, well, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, sure, maybe I want to, but really I just want to have fun with life. Often that's a defense mechanism because we haven't figured out what is meaningful or we really struggle to do stuff that's meaningful because it's difficult. So we want to do something meaningful with this life, but we also, we have all these scattered pieces of our life. We have our spiritual life over here and we have our family life over here and our career over here and, our, and what we like to do for hobbies and all this stuff up here. And, and we have all sorts of things scattered all over the place. And what we really want is, I want my life to have purpose, not just to do something meaningful, but also like my life, the things that I engage in on a day-to-day -day basis, I want it to matter, to have a purpose behind it. And then another thing I think that we deeply long for, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is, is you want your spiritual life, or at least your faith, to matter to your daily life. And so many of us are struggling with that because it doesn't feel like it's really compatible. Over here, I'm supposed to read my Bible, which is incredibly tough to read. And then somehow I'm supposed to apply this verse to my day-to-day -day life. But that doesn't even feel like it fully applies because David is talking about something I've never experienced in my life. We struggle with that. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but it's, it's tough, right? We have these longings in our life, and I'm just going to tell you this, and I firmly believe this with my whole heart. This idea of build the kingdom unites all of your life in a cohesive, purpose-driven, meaningful way. Let me think about this. It's, it's not just like your spiritual life. It's your family, your money, your, your self-management, your career, your recreation, your friendships, your, your home, your passions, your church life. All of it can be united under this idea. 
And here's how. Remember, you are an empowered image-bearing ruler. That's who you are and who you're created to be. And all of these seemingly disconnected pieces of your life are not, dis are not disconnected. Because I wanna tell you this, all of those disconnected, the seemingly disconnected pieces of your life, all of that is the kingdom that God has entrusted you with. It's not some other random thing. I wanna tell you this right now. The things in your life are the things that God has entrusted you with. You can wait until, well, maybe when I get to my career, that's when it starts. No, right now. You have a bunch of stuff in your life and God says, this is what I've entrusted you with right now. You're gonna get to the other stuff someday, but this is what I've entrusted you with right now. It is the kingdom that God has given to you and entrusted you with. And so instead of seeing life as this distinction between spiritual and secular, between all these other things, instead, start to look at life as this wholehearted pursuit to build the kingdom in all of those little areas that is the kingdom that you have been given. Let me say that one more time. Instead of looking at, oh, this is my spiritual life, this is my secular life, this is my work life, this, instead of doing that, all of this is the singular cohesive kingdom he has given to you. Maybe not all of it should be there, and maybe there's some stuff that should be added, but this is what you have. And the call of God in your life is stop looking at it like it's all separate. It's not spiritual and secular. This is what God gave you. So the call is to rule over it as that image bearer that you are created to be. And what that might look like for you is, and just to be clear, like I'm not talking about this overly religious thing. Like, I'm gonna go play soccer. I gotta make sure I'm always saying Jesus, but not like in a bad way, right? Like, Jesus, thank you so much for scoring that goal off of my foot. Like, like that's not what I'm talking about. Some of us feel like we have to do that with life. That's not what we're talking about. Remember what God did in the garden or in that beginning, Genesis chapter two, he creates it all and he steps back and enjoys it. What if your recreation in life is actually a form of worship if you treat it that way. God, you've given me this body. You've given me the ability to do this. You've given me a world to enjoy. This is what I have. This is an act of worship. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I'm just saying like, that's part of the kingdom is that you would enjoy the world that God has given you. But what if your relationships, all of them, are places where the kingdom of God is being built, or it's not. You're either building your own kingdom or you're building his. And that God has given this to you. What will the relationships that you have look like? Are you gonna be a doctor someday that creates an atmosphere of fear amongst the nurses and the coworkers and the patients that you have? Because remember my little daughter, she's got that hose. You never know when she's gonna whip it around and spray you. Are you gonna be the kind of doctor that creates an atmosphere of fear because no one knows when your anger or your dismissive words or your silent treatment is gonna turn their direction? Or are you gonna be a doctor who builds a space of compassion, graciousness, listening, seeing people as human? Are you gonna be a nurse who looks at the people that you were gonna come in contact with, even the people that you're like, okay, listen, 
I know that you're here to be helped. I'm gonna leave you here with whatever you got because you don't wanna be helped. Are you gonna even see those people and see past the difficult nature that they have, past the fear or past all of that to the fear and the pain that they have that's causing all of this? I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm just saying which kingdom are you gonna be part of building? Or are you gonna be the nurse who's just like, oh, I got this many patients, gotta get to the end of the day. Cool, I'm out. You're gonna have days like that for sure, but, but what is the trajectory of this life? Is it building God's kingdom or is it building a kingdom that's really about satisfying my needs, making sure that I'm happy? It's not that you can't be happy in the kingdom of God. That's part of it. God wants you to care for yourself, but is it all about you? are you the servant king, the servant queen, the servant ruler in the spaces that God has given you and entrusted you with? That's the call to every single one of us today. Are you going to build the kingdom of God? Or are you going to build your own? And I'll just tell you this, God is faithful. You're going to mess up. You're going to get it so wrong. 10 years from now, you're going to look back like, I thought that's what it should look like. No, that was a mistake. I thought that I should have. No, I shouldn't have done that. But in 10 years, I tell you this with confidence. If you start this process, Lord, I wanna build your kingdom in my life. I want you and your spirit to inhabit my life so that your kingdom would come here. Your will would be done here as it is, as it is in heaven. If we start that now, in 10 years, you're gonna look back and be like, I made a lot of mistakes, but God has grown me and matured me he has helped me create things and spaces for community and safety for people I didn't even know I could. He's helped me impact the lives of, of my loved ones, but even people past that. My family dynamic is healthier. I'm beginning to break generational, generational cycles. Like this is some of the stuff that you'll begin to see as you embark on this journey and say, Lord, okay, I get it. You made me in your image to rule over this space you've entrusted me with. Okay. I'm gonna go on the journey of doing this with you. So that's the call. Jesus said it best, and this is where I'll end. He said it this way. He just said, your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. And if we're to pray this prayer with some of the context we've talked about today, it's this. Your kingdom come here in this space you've entrusted me with. Your will be done here in this space you've entrusted me with. As it is where you are a prayer of surrender saying, I know I could build my own thing here, but instead I wanna build yours. Do you understand the power you have in your hands? Do you understand the power to create stuff in this world that is beautiful, that you have in your hands today? The call is build the kingdom. Let's pray. God, you are far better to us than we could ever imagine. We didn't ask for any of this. In fact, often we just would rather you micromanage us. But Lord, we wanna step into this idea now that we are not just people who have to wait all the time. We're not just people who have to always be so concerned about where you are. And all. We can just live in this faithful trust. God, you're here with us. You care for us. You are our King and you are present. 
And so what we ask for, Lord, is that your spirit would dwell in us so that your kingdom would begin to build, begin to be built in our lives and in the space you've entrusted us with as it is where you are. In your name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.